Welcome to the Kettle Call Podcast. Today we have our third episode of the quizzing and our fourth episode of the month. So let's go ahead and call Brooke Latek and Dr. Zine. Hello, Brooke. How are you? Hi, Pedro. I'm great. How are you? Pretty good. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. <laughs> great, great. Thank you. Hello, Dr. Zing. How are you? Hello, Pedro and Brooke. Doing very well. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Zing, thank you once again to join your call. The quiz of this month is started related to the time that we are facing right now. It's getting pretty warm here in the valley. And I think Brooke has a, a question that might be related to that a little bit. So Brooke, what is the question that we have this month? Sure. So like you said, we're um, well into summer here. Our temperatures are reaching close to 120 degrees Fahrenheit and other areas are experiencing that same um, increase in temperatures for their area. Some dairy nutritionists are using um, potassium carbonate to help mitigate the heat load on their cattle. Dr. Zinn, could you explain the use and benefits of potassium in feedlot diets? Well, Brooke, this is actually a very, very good question and actually a very complicated uh, question. The, the mineral requirements uh, for cattle as well as all animals is, um, is variable. And uh, some of them are factorial. In other words, they're based on tissue growth and so forth. Potassium is a different one. And as you know, uh, it is, along with magnesium, the principal intracellular cation and uh, is very, very important for cellular function. What happens during the, the warm, very, very warm high temperature periods is that Animals will, because of sweating and because of, especially Holstein, because of very high levels of water intake, they will have an increased uh, potassium loss. And uh, so there obviously is a, a rationale for increasing potassium levels during this period. Well, well, while the conventional potassium source is potassium chloride because of its lower cost, it doesn't do anything for what we call the cation anion balance. So when we add uh, potassium carbonate, then we're able to add potassium without a negative effect of fluoride. The, and so this is the interest in, uh, in the use of potassium carbonate. And, and there's, and it has, potassium carbonate obviously has uh, benefits not only as a source of potassium, but also as a source of, uh, as a buffer. So there's two uh, added potentials during that time. And in fact, you know, in studies where they've looked at the addition of potassium carbonate in cattle, they've seen decreased liver abscess. So uh, you can see that, you know, there's other side benefits to adding potassium. One of the things that people don't understand is that potassium and magnesium are very, very closely related. And in fact, magnesium is essential for uh, maintenance of a properly functioning sodium-potassium ATPase, which regulates the, the concentration gradient, allowing potassium uh, concentrations inside the cell to be maintained. Now, this is important because about 75% of the cellular energy expenditure is in maintaining that gradient. And one of the benefits that, uh, that we see when we see improvements in, in gain efficiency, and in fact growth for that matter during periods of high ambient temperature, 
is proper uh, concentration of not only potassium, but also magnesium. So when you look at the literature, the, the National Research Council has been variable on what they consider the potassium requirements. But part of that problem, that reason I believe, this is just me now, is because they have paid very little attention to magnesium requirements. And so you can be assured that in most feedlot diets, magnesium levels are not adequate. And so when they've added increased potassium, they've actually depleted magnesium and uh, even further than it was. So in those studies, a lot of those studies where they show negative responses to uh, higher levels of potassium, it is my opinion that's due to the fact that the diets were very deficient in magnesium. And here at the Desert Research Center, we've conducted uh, two large experiments showing the importance of increasing magnesium level and how that has helped improve uh, performance. And our diets are normally high, uh, about 0.8% potassium, where you'll see like in the high plains in the Midwest and in other parts of the country, the diet uh, potassium levels are usually down around uh, 0.4%. In a, in a strictly corn-based diet, they would for sure be down around 0.4. Now, the National Research Council recommends about 0.6%. So uh, those diets would be deficient no matter what. Typically, a nutritionist paying attention to that would increase uh, that potassium level with uh, potassium chloride, a little bit of potassium chloride, maybe 0.15% or 0.2% potassium chloride in the diet. But uh, but out here in the West, uh, we although uh, molasses is expensive, we add a little molasses to the diet, and that brings our potassium to 0.75 to 0.8 percent. So we we're feeding uh, a higher level of potassium than other parts of uh, without the need for additional uh, potassium carbonate or potassium chloride to bring that level up. But like I said, the, the problem, and I think a lot of nutrition should pay attention to this, is that we need to increase the magnesium level, uh, especially during the summertime. And, and so I, you know, our research indicates that probably that level should be 0.28 to 0.3%. The National Research Council recommends 0.1%, but we should understand that zero, zero studies, except for the ones we've conducted here, have been conducted with uh, functioning ruminants in, in addressing the magnesium requirements. So uh, the National Research Council uh, estimation on that is probably way off. So, so anyway, this is my, uh, my consideration. Now, another thing that, uh, that I like to point out is that uh, if you spike the diet at the end with higher levels of potassium, it may also reduce uh, shrink when cattle are shipped to slaughter. Now, this is especially important if cattle are transported some distance, like, uh, you know, two or three hours or so, and then they're standing around uh, maybe overnight waiting for harvest the next morning. Uh, there'll be some tissue shrink. And, and so we conducted some experiments to show that, that uh, by spiking the diet with potassium, that we're able to reduce that shrink. And we have two experiments, but we found that that improvement is about a half a percent in dressing percentage, which is very significant. So obviously like maybe in the Imperial Valley where 
a lot of the cattle are only shipped uh, a very short distance to harvest, that may not be a, so important. But where cattle are being transported some distance for harvest, then of course that could be very important. So Pedro, Brooke, that's pretty much my... Uh, that's very interesting, Dr. Zing. I, I, while you were talking, a couple of questions raised right now. And if the cattle are going to be shipped like this two to three hours, do you have any recommendation on how worthy should we increase the potassium or how worthy did you increase on those diets in the finishing period? It could be, that's a good question. That's an excellent question. And in some of our work, we looked at increasing it maybe uh, three weeks or so before. That would coincide for those that are using, let's say, a beta agonist at the end. They could add the potassium to that diet, and uh, that might be beneficial. Uh, we've also looked at just the last uh, seven days before harvest, and that was sufficient to increase the dressing percentage by a half percent. This may work uh, if you want to look at it uh, in feedlots where they're going back and, and having a the beta agonist withdrawal, for example, if they were using zopaterol, then they could just add that the last three days and that or four days, however they manage it in that withdrawal diet. So that could be convenient, a convenient mechanism for adding it. But again, like I said, This is mainly, uh, in my opinion, a factor when cattle are going to be harvested sometime, some some considerable time after uh, ship from the feedlot. No, very very good, Dr. Zin. Thank you very much. I think I took some big take-home message today, like the relationship between potassium and magnesium. Always paying attention those, and also paying attention that the requirements might be less than than we think they are, and also. Here in the valley, we feed, like you mentioned, we feed a lot of molasses. So molasses has a greater concentration of potassium as well. Uh, I think that those are, are great points for me. Well, the other the other thing, of course, uh, speaking of the Southwest, uh, Pedro, that I've mentioned that I think should be a big take home is how much water those Holsteins drink. Exactly. And uh, how, as opposed to, say, crossbreds, so uh, they may drink as much as twice the amount of water. And, uh, and of course, they're going to lose a lot of potassium in the urine under those conditions. So that I hope everybody's taking that message home as well. That That's also a really, really good point. Uh, so I, I learned a lot today. I don't know if, Brooke, you have any final final comments, any final thoughts? Um, I, can, I actually have one, one question. Is there a, a situation where you wouldn't want to use potassium in a diet or where it wouldn't benefit? Potassium can reduce the palatability of the diet. And we have to recognize that, especially if our if we have to add a lot of uh, potassium carbonate, for example, it can actually reduce palatability. And the other thing is, is if you're, uh, and you can run into potassium toxicity even if you get to too high of a level. And you, there are some studies where they, I don't know why they went so high in the level of potassium in the diet, where they did see some serious reductions in animal performance. So uh, if we're not increasing uh, magnesium, potassium, increased potassium levels using uh, either potassium chloride or potassium carbonate could actually depress performance. And And, and that's due to uh, the change in acceptability of the diet. We need to be very careful about that. 
and you know be wise uh, in in your approach to, to adding it. Usually, we're talking about uh, let's say in a conventional diet, we're talking about the need to add. Uh, let's say the basal diet has 0.4% potassium, uh, then we're going to need to add about 0.4%, three and a half uh, to 0.35 to 0.4% potassium, but not 1% potassium. See what I'm saying? That Great. Thank you very much. Great, Dr. Zin. Thank you very much once again for, for joining us. Uh, I appreciate your time and, and to answer our questions. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, please send an email to kettlecallucd at gmail.com and we'll be happy to take our question. Thank you. Bye-bye.